Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Good morning and welcome to the show. I'm Jason Hewlett, sitting in for Jeff Andreas. Underfunding of public education continues to be a hot topic among teachers, and the local teachers' union is intent on keeping it in the public spotlight with a couple of upcoming rallies. When are they and what are the key issues here? We'll find out later in the show. The current cold snap in a very public tent city in Kelowna has put homelessness in the public consciousness. We'll talk to the man who's at the very center of the Leon Street tent city about the cause and effect of this during the second half hour. Are small businesses a viable option for entrepreneurs in our current economic climate? The Canadian Federation of Independent Business has put out a new report that suggests government needs to show more support in this area. We'll learn more about that in 15 minutes. But first, the holiday season is pretty much upon us, and that means lots of seasonal parties and gatherings. With all that Christmas cheer comes alcohol and the risk of driving under the influence. Fortunately, Operation Red Nose gets underway tonight and continues to provide a safe way home for those who don't feel fit to drive their own vehicle. Here to talk about this year's campaign and what motorists can expect is Operation Red Nose coordinator Katie Klassen. Good morning and welcome to the show, Katie. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you in. And I mean, this is always a, a, a welcome <clears throat> excuse me, service at this time of the year, right? What what will be different this year? Are we going to have sort of more of what people have seen with Red Nose in the past? I think it's the same as uh, previous years. So we're running the service over 50 nights. Um, and we're doing some, again, the Thursdays. So every Thursday in December as well. Oh, wow. Okay. And then also we've extended uh, the hours a couple years ago. So starting at 8 o'clock uh, and going till uh, 3 a.m. on Friday, Saturday, and then 2 a.m. on Thursday night. So for those of who might not know, like first, how, how long has Red Nose been operating now? I'm, I was trying to think of that actually before you came on. Yeah, so in Kamloops, this is our 23rd year. Okay. And then nationally, it's 36 years. That's a good long time. It is a good long time for That's sure. a good long time. So how, for those who maybe have never used it before, because there's always New, new people driving each year, right? Yep. What is Red Nose and how does it work? So it's a designated driving service where a team of three volunteers will come pick up you and your vehicle. So two of our volunteers will get into your car and drive you home in your own vehicle. Yep. So next day it's in your driveway instead of having to trek downtown to get it home. And that's kind of, I think, uh, with a lot of people, I know with myself in the past, especially when I was younger and dumber, <laughs> like yeah. you just didn't <laughs> want to have to go out and find that vehicle the next day, right? Right. So there's that comfort of having it at home yeah. um, and it, it's it's free but it's sort of by donation right? yes so it's um, a by donation service um, so we'll accept any donation that anyone can provide uh, and it's a, our major fundraiser for Pacific Sport Interior BC so we're the host organization of it and all funds raised goes to supporting um, some of our programs amateur athletes here in Kamloops so what are just what are those programs people kind of understand what they're kind of helping out yeah so we have a travel grant for some of our athletes so if they go to uh, national or international competition we help them with that travel. Um, we have uh, different equipment that uh, coaches and athletes can use. Uh, we have a few of the youth programs as well. We have a partner program with the Canucks Autism Network mm -hmm. to provide programming for uh, kids with autism. Um, we provide a physical literacy leader um, to lead that. And then also coach education, um, athlete education, uh, just lots of things that we do to support those in um, our community. Which is, is so important because the money raised in Kamloops stays within yes. Kamloops, doesn't it? Yes. It doesn't go off to different parts of the country. It's here yes. to support people. Here in Kamloops, and 100% of the donations go to um, um, those services as well. Which is, I think, comforting as someone who would use the service, right? Yes. It really encourages people more. Right. Um, so what... How does it work? Like, what sort of is a, a, an average night for, like, a volunteer with Red Nose? 
So we do have um, a lot of volunteer positions. So mm -hmm. again, we have the three volunteers on the road. So the designated driver. So they're driving the client's vehicle. Escort driver, you're driving your own vehicle. You're the one driving around um, to the pickup and drop-off location. Mm -hmm. And then the navigator is the one uh, taking all the paperwork, donations, calling into dispatch to get the new ride. And then also we have office volunteers as well. Um, so our headquarters is at Desert Gardens Community Center downtown. Yep. So everybody arrives, get their famous red vest, all the materials they need. And uh, then once phone calls start coming in, then we dispatch the teams out to um, drive people home safely. Now, when does it kind of start to get busy for you guys on a, on a given night? Like you sort of start at around 8. Do you get a lot of calls right at 8 o'clock or does it? No, just a few. Um, in the past, that's why we've... Uh, uh, made the start time a little bit earlier just because there's a few people wanting to either change parties or just want to go home early. Um, but no, it starts ramping up about 11 mm -hmm. p.m. to about 1 a.m. is our busiest times. I know when I've used it in the past, that's kind of when there's is a bit of a wait time yes. sometimes, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no, it does get busy and it, we all, again, it's volunteer-based. So it's just as many volunteer teams that we have. Um, so if anyone wants to ride between those times, especially middle of December, mm -hmm. just give us plenty of time. What's sort of a good a good leeway time to call? Like if you're anticipating leaving like a half hour from now or an hour, is it worth calling at that point? Or? Yeah, about 45 minutes. Okay. Um, again, it all depends on the night, but um, give us a solid 45 minutes um, yeah. to, to get you and your vehicle home. Now, I noticed uh, back in October, you guys were hoping to recruit some 250 volunteers uh, yes. this year. Did you reach that amount? We are still accepting volunteers. So right. we do expect accept volunteers all the way up to New Year's Eve. Um, just we do require a criminal record check. So that does take about, um, I've heard, seven to ten business days. Can, so just yeah. give a, um, plenty of time to get that completed. Um, but we do accept volunteers throughout the whole campaign. Right now we're sitting about 150. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're really pushing for the more, 100, 100 more, um, yeah, especially that middle of December to really help us drive people home. Well, I guess that's kind of the peak period, right? That kind of weekend before Christmas and kind of Christmas Eve. And then obviously New Year's Eve is like the, yes. the busiest of the whole run, I'm sure. Right. And it's a whole different ball game on New Year's Eve because everybody wants a ride just after midnight. Yeah. <laughs> so between 8 and 12, like it's kind of slow. Then as soon as midnight hits, it's like everybody wants a ride. So it's nice to have, you know, a good solid amount of teams on New Year's Eve just so we can get those people home safely. Um, drinking and driving is obviously a concern all year round. Yes. Um, but it definitely gets a lot more focus at this time of year. Have you noticed your ridership been going up year to year? Like are more people going, okay, this service is here and I want to use it? Oh, for sure. Every year we keep um, growing. More people use the service. We're getting more volunteers. I think we're just really getting the word out about the service mm -hmm. and what we do. Um, and we know that during this time, cabs are busy, other designated driving services are busy. Um, yeah, so every year we keep growing um, and people just, I think, really love the service and our volunteers will entertain you mm -hmm. and um, people just really value it. And especially because it is a fundraiser, um, people support it just that much more. Uh, do you guys have a financial goal to reach each year? Is it just sort of whatever you guys can bring in? or? Yeah, uh, last year we did about thirty-three to 34000 Nice. So anything above 35000 would be great to um, raise. 35, have you ever had like a high benchmark goal that you've been able to achieve in a year? I know that's kind of suddenly just popped into my head to ask. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think um, two years ago we did about 35000 Nice. It would be really nice to make that $40,000 mark. And just crest that? Yes. Yeah. yeah, just that would be, yeah, it would be great to do that. Who's sort of a typical Red Nose customer? 
Or is it anybody? Um, I think it's kind of anybody. Uh, we've definitely seen a lot of younger people using the service for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a very different demographic um, that uses the service for sure. Is it mostly though, like sort of um, like I guess party goers? Would they be the yeah. biggest use? Like, I mean, I'm sure there's the odd person like who's at the bar and they just like I've had too much and I want to get home. But is it primarily people who are out at an event? Wanting to get home after like their Christmas yes. party? Lots of Christmas parties. Yeah, a lot of people that are at their work Christmas parties that are using the service. Um, yeah, a lot of home Christmas parties as well, people. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of people, a lot of times we get sent to a house that someone's having just a little get together or a little Christmas party. Um, yeah, just big variety of people that use it for sure. Has there ever been, because I know there are other driving services around, which you obviously pay mm -hmm. for, but has there ever been like a, a thought of having Red Nose run at different times of the year? Do you know what I mean? Or is it just is Christmas, is it such a focus on Christmas, but has there ever been a demand like, hey, maybe in the summer? Oh, for sure. We've definitely had people ask, hey, you should run all year round. But because we are volunteer based, yeah. um, that would be a little bit harder. But it's also a national program. So our national office in Quebec um, set the rules and guidelines. So it is kind of just a holiday se season service. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's all determined by our national office in Quebec. I, yeah. I kind of thought that because if you suddenly were going to run it longer, you'd have to pay people to do it and then it stops being a volunteer yes. yeah and then it just kind of creates things yes. but it's a lot of work to get this um, <laughs> up and going so those six weeks I think are are good enough for now <laughs> <laughs> well how long have you been doing this for now Katie uh, this is my 10th year okay um, coordinating and I'm also doing it with um, Tara Holmes as well yes so we've brought her on board and she's been so great getting the word out making those connections um, doing a lot of the promo stuff um, yeah so we've been teaming up together to really grow this program. Um, but yeah, my 10th year coordinating it and um, just love coming back every year, seeing all the volunteers, dealing with sponsors, dealing mm -hmm. with the community. And it's just a really highly respected um, event during this time. So it's, I love being a part of it. That's great. And obviously you have no intention of stopping anytime soon if you've been uh, doing it for 10 or... <laughs> no, not, no, not yet. <laughs> so what's the number people call? Uh, when they want a ride. Yes. Um, so there's two different phone numbers. I know it's kind of confusing, uh, but the service line is 250-372-5110 for a safe ride home. And people can start calling at about 8 o'clock? Yes, 8 o'clock. Or I yeah. guess if they want to ride at 8, try maybe like 7.30? Yeah, we will usually have our office volunteers in place about 7.45-ish. Okay. Yeah. Just to get things up and running. Yeah. Well, Katie, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, and thanks telling for us about me. this important service. Thank uh, you. And we wish you the best of luck this year. Thank you. That was Katie Klassen of Operation Red Nose. I'm Jason Hewlett, and I've got an update on the state of small business in British Columbia after this. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back. Jason Hewlett in for Jeff this morning. Thinking of starting a small business, or maybe you already own one? A report from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business suggests the confidence in the industry isn't quite what it once was. That's if I read the report, right? How so, and what does it all mean? Is starting your own business still the way to go? Muriel Protzer is the Federation's Policy Analyst for BC and Alberta, and she joins me now to explain further. Welcome, Muriel. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for having CFIB. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on, and I hope I pronounced your last name right. <laughs> I thought of that just you as have. I said it. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. So I was looking at this report, and uh, so the, from what I understand, there's been this fluctuation in the confidence of small business, Muriel. Am I read, did I read that right? And what does this mean? Yeah, what does well, the report mean? Well, we, we track small business confidence month over month. 
So we ask uh, small businesses across Canada if they expect their business to be performing stronger or weaker over the next 12 months. And this month, we saw in British Columbia uh, that fall a little bit. And we have seen that index of confidence fall over the past year. Uh, now, that index is measured on a scale from 0 to 100. Mm-hmm. When the index is over that 50 points, it does mean more entrepreneurs are expecting a uh, a really good performance over the next year versus those who are expecting a weak performance. So the index in November in BC is 52.3. We are over that 50-point threshold, but only just so. Okay, so if it's sort of above that 50, I mean, it's good, but it's, I think even the, the, the writing was like, you know, you know, no news isn't always good news kind of thing. Like, it should be higher is what you're saying for it to be a yeah, strong performance? Yeah, exactly. I- Ideally, we'd like to see an index of about 65 points. That does mean the economy is growing at its uh, at its potential. Over the past three months, that uh, index hasn't fluctuated much. It looks like it's stuck at just above that 50-point index. And what I mean by uh, no news is not always good news is this is the holiday season. We're expecting small businesses to really be vamping up for you know the holiday sales. They really rely on this time of year to get the revenues up, get in the green for the year, and come out profitable. Uh, but I think there's a little bit of anxiety on the ground this holiday season for our local businesses. Which is kind of scary, considering it is Black Friday, Monday's Cyber Monday. You're right, business should be booming, and this is the kickoff to the shopping season. So what, what do you think this means? Does this mean that people just aren't spending money, or are they spending money differently, do you think? Well, I think small businesses are faced with a lot of challenges right now that uh, may be contributing to this anxiety. For example, we track hiring intentions for local businesses. Mm -hmm. And right now we see that only 16% expect uh, to hire more over the next three months. And this is the holiday season. Last year, for comparison in November, that was 23%. So that's a seven-point difference, which is pretty significant. Um, So this time of year, we, we would normally expect a lot more small businesses to want to take on more employees. Uh, They would expect uh, their doors to be the most busiest time of the year, uh, but unfortunately it doesn't look like we're seeing that. No, and I know I I used to do employment counseling for a little bit, and this is when people, even if they weren't going to hire long-term staff, they at least bring on one, two, three other people just to get them through this period, right? So are we seeing maybe then a dip in the economy overall? Do you think, Muriel, or or like, is it just that there's been a lot of talk about debt lately or people just, you know, sort of pinched and they aren't spending, so they're not going to be able to support these businesses? Yeah, I don't think it's time yet to say that there's a dip in the economy. Um, We'll keep tracking that to see if that index gets below that 50-point threshold. That's when we'll really see a red flag there. Uh, But I think right now, um, with a lot of these deals, Black Fridays today, Cyber Mondays coming up, you've mentioned, a lot of people are turning to online shopping options instead of taking a walk down their uh, local streets and popping their heads into small businesses. Um, Big business competition that's online is a huge threat to our local businesses, most indicating that it is one of their greatest concerns over the next three years. Uh, so this is this is a challenge for them having to adapt to this new digital world. Uh, many small businesses don't have online shopping options themselves. 60% don't offer it in British Columbia. That's interesting. Do you think with, with this change over time, small businesses might figure out a way to adopt that? Do you know what I mean? To kind of move themselves onto the Amazons and these other platforms or even to sell from within their own to create their own model for their own website and do this? 
Yeah, it takes a lot of resources to go online. You have to consider first and foremost shipping. Um, While big businesses, they have economies of scale. That's something they can easily absorb as a cost. Small businesses is a bit of a different story. Um, On top of that, having to adapt to the technology, maybe learn um, either yourself or hire someone on to do the online uh, programming for you, managing the website. Uh, It's a lot of resources that a lot of small businesses don't have. That being said, many are learning to adapt. I have heard stories of small businesses who have a customer come in. They've bought some product online from a different retailer completely, but they don't know how to use the product. (laughs) So then they go to their local business uh, for that expert advice, which is something that does give them that competitive competitive advantage. Now, I know there's definitely been a big push. I know in Kamloops, like, you know, shop local, support your local business. And I know anecdotally people are finding they prefer to avoid a big box store or a chain and deal with someone, you know, from the community, support their own business. Um, do you, do you think then this, with this mindset, is it maybe not as prevalent as people think it is? Well, from public opinion polling, we do see that the majority of Canadians would much rather shop local than online. That sentiment is true. Um, but this holiday season, I think it's especially important that people get out there and attend those local Christmas markets, those events, those things that get you outside your doors and maybe walking on the street more than you normally would during the cold season um, and visiting those local businesses. So I think that, uh, that um, this holiday season is definitely a difficult shift shift for them, but um, I think the spirit is still there. That's good. We've got less than a minute. Um, would How can government kind of step in? Like, what's just like one simple solution government could do? Yeah, right now, uh, municipal property taxes are one of the biggest things we're hearing from small businesses as a huge concern for them. A lot of them seeing tens hundreds of thousands in increases in their property tax bill. Um, Both the municipal governments across British Columbia and the province certainly need to work together to come up with a solution because it's certainly just not sustainable for small businesses uh, to adjust and adapt to these tax increases. They're simply unprecedented. So lowering that tax burden will help them invest in some other uh, initiatives like getting online. So. Mm -hmm. Super important going super important going forward. Well hopefully the the government does realize that and Heather lowers taxes or prevent comes up with some kind of grant or better grant that can help support our, our local ma and pa operations here. Yeah, certainly and we'll be we we advocate uh, closely with local and provincial governments and are on the on the case and trying to help them come up with some solutions. Perfect. Muriel, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having CFIB. You betcha, anytime. That was Muriel Protzer of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. I'm Jason Hewlett, and we're back with an update on the homeless situation after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back. Jason Hewlett sitting in for Jeff Andreas this week. After plenty of pushback from residents, the city of Kelowna took steps to move the homeless population of Leon Avenue or Leon Street, sorry, away from the downtown to North Kelowna earlier this week. The reasoning: living conditions were too hazardous. This has put the issue of homelessness into the public spotlight once again, and not just in Kelowna. We spoke with a way home yesterday, Kamloops yesterday on the show, and today we're talking with Randy Benson, executive director of the Kelowna Gospel Mission, which was at ground zero during the entire Leon Street situation. Welcome to the show, Randy. Yeah, hi, Jason. Thank you so much for coming on. So I guess, what's the latest update on the whole uh, Leon Street homeless camp? Has everyone actually now been moved out? Uh, yeah, that's correct. There's no tents anymore on uh, Leon Avenue, and it's very much like it was a few months ago uh, before the whole situation started. So for those unfamiliar with the story, Randy, what actually happened on Leon Street that this, this city formed? 
I mean, there's tensity for well, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think we just saw an increase in our homeless population over the summer. And uh, starting in about uh, July or August, a few people uh, started setting up tents. There were three or four. And um, at first, the city moved them along. But then the problem was that there is no room in the shelters. And so uh, the, the uh, law says that if there's no shelter space available, that the city can't prevent people from setting up a tent or an abode. So they started setting up, and I think word got out that uh, Leon Avenue was a place that they could set up. So it started on about half a block, one side of the sidewalk, and that, uh, that uh, filled up. And pretty soon we had tents on the other side of the street. And before you know it, we had uh, between 30 and 40 tents there in about uh, 70 to 80 people. Holy cow. Uh, holding up there, yeah. <laughs> what is it about yeah. this, this street that made it so appealing? Well, I think a couple things. One is that uh, the gospel mission is on that block, mm -hmm. and so people were getting services from their meals and that. And uh, the other fact is that we are the only daytime business there. Uh, there's a couple nightclubs, but it's really um, a street that, or a block that doesn't have any daytime businesses besides ourselves. And um, I think because of that, you don't have that daytime businesses putting pressure on people to move. So, and I know that, like here in Kamloops, we do. I mean, we have a downtown. We have, you know, we have a homeless population that's downtown, and they'll go into doorways and stuff. But they do tend to disappear more so during the daylight hours, or they move into the alleys where they're not as as visible. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason for anyone to kind of move along then during the day, I guess. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So they set up their tents, and and what the city did at first was they'd come along three times a week, and everybody had to move their tents, move out. They went down to the park, mm -hmm. and the city would clean their sidewalks. Uh, but the last couple of months, all that happened was people would uh, literally move their tents and belongings into the street, into the parking lane, and the city would come along and clean the sidewalks, and then people would move their belongings back. So, yeah, it was quite a scene, that's for sure. It sounds like it. And, I mean, <laughs> watching this go on, what like I guess some concerns were raised that it was became hazardous. Why Why was it becoming hazardous? Well, uh, I think a couple of situations. Uh, one, the tents were so close together and the people did have heating um, elements in there. They had propane tanks and different things like that. And, and what finally pushed it was that there was a fire. I think the other danger, of course, is you're still talking about a street. Yeah. And so you have people's belongings uh, spilling into the street and you've got people walking in the street and you've got traffic coming on. And uh, quite frankly, I'm surprised that there wasn't any injury through a traffic accident there during this whole thing. Well, that was my thought, hearing that it was an actual street in use. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it was only a matter of time. Uh, was anyone injured in that fire? Uh, no, nobody was injured, fortunately, that's for sure. That's good. So how, why did it take so long for, like, this action to take place? Was, you know, like... Because that's like, you know, you said July, and now we're in November. Uh, for, for the city to kind of just step in, did they just, someone just, was there enough complaints that they, the city had to do something? Well, I think there's a couple of factors. One, yeah, uh, certainly complaints, but um, the city and uh, our journey home and BC Housing has been working on getting a cold weather mat emergency program going. Mm -hmm. And in our initial meetings beginning of September, uh, the thought was, well, we'll that'll be up and running by November 1st at the latest. And um, that still isn't up and running. And so I think 
the thought was, well, since we've got this uh, shelter coming, uh, we'll just leave people on Leon for now, and uh, you know, when November first comes, we'll be able to move people into the shelter, etc. Well, that didn't happen, and and uh, you know, in two days it's December, we still don't have a cold weather shelter, and so I think finally, uh, with the safety issue, it became apparent that they can't remain on Leon. We have to find another place for them. And now this other place was it was in North Kelowna, am I correct? Yeah, they uh, they offered two places, one at the bottom of Knox Mountain and the other by uh, the Curling Club, and it, it appears that those who have moved their tents and decided to stay there are in just the one location at the Curling Club there, yeah. So is this like a, a, a public location? Like you say, there's a curling club there. So is it like another sort of high visibility, high use area, or is it sort of more of a it's, rural spot? Or it's uh, well, no, it's actually uh, where Ball Diamond is. Okay. And so they've they've kind of fenced off the Ball Diamond, and then people are camping around in the grassy area there. So it's kind of in an industrial area, uh, but yeah, it's definitely is public, but it's a little bit hidden from the from the main highway and everything. Now, are the, do you see this as only like a, you're just moving, not a problem, I don't hate to use the word problem, but you're moving one situation from, from one place to another. Well, aren't there concerns that there could be safety or security problems here as well? Uh, oh, absolutely. But I think, uh, you know, a couple things. They have fenced in the area, so it's it's more secure that way, and there's some kind of uh, uh, conditions of coming in and out. So that's a good thing. Uh, and, of course, the other thing, they don't have cars driving through the middle of the camp, so that's True. going to definitely be, be better for them. Now, but this is just sort of moving something. Um, it's not it's coming up with a real solution to help deal with with these people. Not like the people in the sense of what they're having to deal with. They're homeless. They've obviously got got reasons for being outdoors. This isn't like solving a problem at all, is it, Randy? Like it's it's just no. bumping it around. Exactly, and I, I definitely agree. I mean, the problem that we're facing not only in Kelowna and Kamloops, but across our province and, and uh, Canada as well is, is the lack of affordable housing and uh, the economy and what's happening. And, um, you know, people are losing their housing and they're not, uh, if they're on disability or something, they're just not having enough to afford getting a place. And so uh, until we, I think... Uh, develop more housing and more supports for these people. We're going to continue to see this problem. It seems to be growing. It certainly is in Kelowna. Well, we've been seeing that here in Kamloops as well. I had Catherine McParland uh, from Away Home Kamloops on yesterday, and and you know she's saying that each year it seems to be growing a little bit, um, and the, mm -hmm. the economy is not helping in terms of it. There's that, not there's not affordable enough housing for people. People just can't afford to live in a home anymore. That's right. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, I know we've we've. Uh, put up some housing here in Kelowna in the last couple of years, probably put in 140, 150 units. Uh, those, of course, are taken up right away, and yet we're seeing our homeless population grow. So um, I don't know if we're going to be able to build and provide fast enough for what the problem is. So what do you think the next best step is? I mean, I mean, obviously people need homes. How do we come up with affordable homes for people that are making some, what, 400 a month? Yeah, well, I, there's some good models out there, and if you look uh, down in the states, especially, there's some um, good models of, of communities that have put up these micro homes um, and kind of done communities, and it's it's basically a very positive step up from a tent city. Mm -hmm. So it's still that community, but at least people have the security of having a place. Uh, they're affordable. Uh, I saw. 
uh, the, I forget what it's called, but these these kind of round huts in one community that they put up, and um, you know they can be put up fast. You need a you know an acre or two of land and put in some facilities, and and I think you know if we start thinking that way, um, that would at least. Uh, help alleviate some of the problem for sure. Uh, do you, let's say, uh, Kelowna Gospel work with agencies in Kamloops and other communities to try to come up with a solution together? You know oh, I mean? absolutely. Yeah, we, we partner with all the other social agencies, um, uh, Now Canada, CMHA, um, all of those, and, uh, you know, our, our caseworkers, our outreach workers work together, and uh, we've got a... Um, a group that meets together to uh, get people housed, you know, as housing becomes available. Yep. Uh, but again, you know, it's it's uh, as soon as there's a room available, it gets snapped up, and you probably got 20 people waiting. What ideally would you like to see happen to help? At least, I mean, we'll never see homelessness disappear, I don't think. But to to mitigate the problem as best we can. What what would you like to see, say, government or someone do to step in? Hmm. Great question, <laughs> Jason. I mean, I think I think we have to recognize that uh, the shelter system, and that's what I'm involved in, and Kelowna's Gospel Mission, we're an emergency shelter. Um, that we're always going to need that because you need that first step safety net for people, and then from there, uh, in the shelter uh, network with the agencies and the housing. Um, but again, uh, like for us, the biggest problem facing my caseworkers is that there's no housing to put these people into so the gospel mission an emergency shelter ends up being the housing for a lot of these men and women uh, because there's no place to go so uh, bottom line is yeah we, we need more housing and that's and so the, the money needs to come from somewhere the space something yeah, and so, you know, if, if uh, our municipal government can provide the land, I know uh, the provincial and federal government have stepped in with different programs to supply housing. Uh, and But I think we need to uh, get a little bit more creative. You know, it doesn't always have to be the apartment type of housing. You know, we can we can look at some of the other models that are around North America and come up with some faster solutions, that's for sure. All right. Well, Randy, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to me. It's an important issue. It gets the spotlight a lot more at this time of year because of the cold, but I think it's one that people need to be on top of year-round. Absolutely. Thanks for calling, Jason. I appreciate right. it. Thank you. That was Randy Benson, Executive Director of Kelowna's Gospel Mission. I'm Jason Hewlett, and the local teachers' union continues to draw attention to the underfunding of public education after this. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Jason Hewlett, taking over for Jeff Andreas today. I covered education at the Countless Daily News for most of my 10 years at the paper, and a teacher shortage and underfunding of education was a constant issue then and remains so to this day despite a change in government. The Countless Thompson Teachers Association continues to draw attention to this ongoing issue with a couple of public rallies planned for the weeks ahead. Here to discuss is Laurel McPherson and Darcy Martin of the Countless Thompson Teachers Association, and they join me now in studio. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you both for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, so like I said, there's both the teachers' union locally and at the provincial level were hopeful that when there was a change in government, we'd see like you know a boost in education funding, more teachers, etc. But that doesn't seem to be the case. So why is that? What happened or didn't happen that was supposed to happen or should have happened? 
So unfortunately, um, when the government was um, looking to be elected as our government for the province, they um, appealed to teachers and really expressed how they felt for us that um, we were being treated terribly by the Liberal government and that they would make things different and there would be a lot more funding that would come to teachers if they were elected as the government. That's right, Laurel. And, and they just never did. Or did, did they? Like, did it go up at all? Or was Because I know there was like, word of more teachers kind of coming on board. At least in Kamloops, it seemed that that, that was happening uh, to some degree. But did, did they just not meet the expectation you were hoping for? Well, the, the reason a lot more teachers came to BC were, was because of the Supreme Court win mm -hmm. in that addressed class size composition. And of course, more teachers were needed. However, that money was allocated already for that decision. And so there was actually no new money that came into education. It was basically to cover that, um, the class size composition language that was restored. And that was it, eh? nothing else on top of that to hire more, more teachers or encourage, I guess, more people even to go into education than to come into the jobs, eh? Well, the difficulty is, is there are teachers that would like to be hired in BC, but with cost of living in BC and with the wages that, the, that, that we're teachers get in BC, um, we're actually the second lowest paid in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so when you can make money, $20,000 more in Alberta, BC doesn't seem like such an attractive place to find a job. No, it doesn't. That was actually going to be one of my questions. I mean, te teaching is still considered a pretty decent profession in terms of wage and, you know, to scale the time off and that kind of thing, I guess. But if, you're, if it were the lowest and our standard of living is high, here, it just makes sense. Even if you've graduated from a program, you're going to go where the jobs are and the, be the pay's better, right? Well, exactly. And when the government is funding um, education, $1,800 less per student than anywhere else in Canada, um, it really limits the amount of resources in schools and, and it makes the workload on teachers a lot more difficult. And so put all that together, the cost of living, the low wages, and then not the resources and support in schools, it's kind of not attractive to teachers coming into the, into the public education system. So what would that extra 1800 per student do? What would be the, what would the difference would be made with that? $1,800 per student? I don't have the stats on how many students there are in BC, but that would greatly improve the learning and working conditions in public education schools. Now, there was a time, I remember uh, my mom was a teacher, uh, and back in sort of the 70s and 80s, where funding was per school. From what, if I can remember that properly, you know what I mean? Like, I think schools got a certain amount of money for them, and it was based on the student population, teacher population. Would that be a better model to go to than per student? Well, it's funny you should say that because while we have been advocating for uh, improved funding for public education, the government is proposing a model where uh, districts would be getting money based on their population and upon their needs. And we see this as being a big step backwards okay. um, just due to the fact that there's no more, there would be no more targeting, targeted funding for special needs students. Yeah. It would just be a pot of money for the district to spend however they would like to spend that money. And that is our concern. If there's no accountability, basically, and the model that they're proposing, we don't have any information on this model. It's, it's kind of like, here's, here you go. What are you going to do with it? 
kind of model, and, yeah. and that's not not something that we see as being um, actually uh, an advantage. We see it as being a very dis much a disadvantage for targeted groups like uh, Aboriginal support, um, special needs. Um, yeah, we're just concerned that parents have to advocate harder yeah. and a lot of times the students with the greatest needs their families have greater needs too yeah. and so we're placing more expectation on them to do more to do more advocacy for their child and that also falls to teachers too and really an underfunded system it doesn't matter how you share the money if the pot isn't big enough it doesn't matter how you dole it out there's not enough it's an underfunded public system and we've seen increases to private education yeah. independent schools it's shameful it is, and, uh, and like you say, like uh, parents, they have they, the parents have to advocate, and so they're already advocating hard just for their kids, just on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's an extra strain on a parent as well to try to push for the funding. I guess there's only so much people can do to advocate. There needs to be support from the other end coming back. Absolutely, and um, when we look at the the salary inc increase, like the mandate that the government has put forward, a two-two and two uh, mandate. And um, just today, there was a news release that BCPC had um, uh, approved an increase for uh, BCPC um, members. So that would be your, your, uh, the superintendents and the officials in the school district offices of an increase between... 8 and 15%. 8 and 15%? Wow. So where does that fall in the mandate, right? Yeah. So you guys have a couple rallies coming up, uh, one next next week, and then the week after. Laurel, what's what's going to happen here? Yes. So on December the fourth, on Columbia and um, Columbia and Summit, <laughs> we're having a rally, and we're encouraging everyone, our members and their families and supporters, to all come out. Uh, we do have a, a campaign right now. It's called Red for Ed, um, and w on Fridays, everybody is encouraged to wear red. Which I see you are. Yeah. Darcy and I are wearing red today. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're just going to be out there and we're going to be addressing, there's a huge teacher shortage in, in BC. We're going to be talking to public and just more informing them about the condition of the funding in British Columbia and um, showing our support for public education. Education. There's one, like you said, it was on Wednesday, then there's one the week after as well, isn't there? There is. On Thursday, December the 12th, we'll be at Fortune and 8th, and we'll be out there rallying as well on that day. And, yeah, we encourage the public to come out and get informed on the education issues, and uh, we'd love to talk to everybody. Excellent. And I guess this is it's important that the public shows their, uh, shows their desire or their support, that that will put the pressure on the government to do what you guys need it to do, right? Well, there are rallies all across the province, and, and um, we just really want to educate the public, and we want them to know that um, we do have a very underfunded education system, and the government needs to uh, come back, and they need to um, do what they promised to do when they were elected, and that was to put more money into education and to... Um, to support the teachers the way they said they would support them. Perfect. Well, thank you, uh, Laurel. Darcy, thanks so much for joining me this morning. It's a very important topic. Uh, that wraps it up for today. I'm, thanks to Jeff for letting me sit in this morning. Thanks to Paul for being my operator. Jeff's back on Monday. I'm Jason Hewlett. Thanks for listening, and have an excellent weekend.